Labor of Love, a podcast about marriage, family, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of RealSimple.com. About a week ago, my Twitter feed lit up with dozens of tweets about a New York Times modern love column called The Wedding Toast I'll Never Give. It was honest and knowing and perfectly captured the love-hate relationship many of us have, both with our partners and with the institution of marriage itself. The column was one of the most read articles on the New York Times site last week and received about 300 comments, many from readers sharing their own tales of marital discontent and redemption. Joining me in the studio today to talk about the article is its author, Ada Calhoun, a journalist who has published widely and is the author of the narrative history, St. Mark's is Dead. Welcome to the show, Ada. Thank you, Lori. What prompted you to write such an honest article about (laughs) marriage and your own marriage? Well, I had been going to a lot of weddings lately, really wonderful weddings for people that I love and adore. And I enjoyed the weddings, but also my husband and I were sitting there sometimes kind of elbowing each other because especially the the self-written vows tended toward, you know, I will be your very best friend. I won't let you down ever. I will never look at anybody else. And they just went on and on in these very idealistic ways. And having been married 10 years, I knew that it was good that they were really aiming high, but also that the chance was not all of those things were going to be true. The title of your piece is The Wedding Toast I'll Never Give. What is the toast that you would want to give? What would it say if you had to sum it up? Well, it's funny because one of my goddaughters, I sort of collect (laughs) godchildren and nieces and nephews, and one who I used to babysit for, who I just think is one of the best people ever. She got married a few months ago, and she called me and asked me for advice. And I didn't even remember what I'd said, but when she read the piece, she actually emailed me and reminded me that what I had told her was not all of all of these details about suffering, but I had told her it's a, it's a long game. So you write in the piece about a Buddhist principle that's helped you understand rough patches in your own marriage and helped you work through them. Can you talk about that concept? Sure. So I was a religious studies major for a little while, and I remembered learning about Zen Buddhism, and I thought, oh, that's very nice. It's all about meditation and detachment and other things that I was totally incapable of. And then I learned about Pure Land Buddhism, which is sort of, I think the idea of it was that it was more accessible. It was not, it was for people who couldn't sit in a monastery. And that basically it was for people who loved life a lot and had a lot of trouble detaching from it because they also got a lot of comfort for it even as they were suffering. And the and yet line actually, some, someone wrote and reminded me, one of the readers, that it's from a, a poem, which I had remembered, but I, I couldn't quite fit into the into that paragraph. And it was a poem by, I think the poet was Isa, who had suffered greatly. And the last line of it is something like, this is a dewdrop world, and yet. Um, so basically, my professor had summed that up as, life is suffering, and yet. You wrote, and yet I sometimes wonder what it would be like to be single again, as well as, and yet we still make each other laugh. What I loved about your piece is that it's really about marriage and getting through, clawing through the tangle of and yet's and sort of determining which, are there more on the positive sides or are there more <laughs> on the negative sides? Well, it's funny because I, I just, walking over here, had a flashback to when my husband and I were married, and we were married in a church, and we had premarital counseling, and I remembered the priest telling us, he basically went through the wedding ceremony with us and talked about the meaning of each line. And he said, the thing about for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, people tend to think of, you know, as or. So either, you know, when you're miserable, 
you're still married. When you're happy, you're still married. But he said that it's it's the same moment. That for richer, for poorer, it's not, there's no or there. It's, you know, it's a comma because it's the same, it's the same thing. And every moment that you have that's, that you want to run screaming out of the house, you know, you can also feel that feeling of tenderness. What is it for you personally that keeps you going when those moments, I mean, you open the piece with a really, with a anecdote that I think many people can relate to, if not in the specifics and the general, which mm-hmm. is that your husband has done something really annoying in that he's missed a flight and it's going to cost a lot of money and you're trying to figure out you know, how he's going to get to where you are. And I could feel your own irritation in the way you wrote it. Um, And I've been there, as most people have who are in a relationship. (laughs) Yeah, it sounded really irritating. What is, I mean, I I know you're not an expert, but I I love this idea of powering through those irritations Uh and they add up. I mean, they Mm -hmm. happen all the time, which I think is... Another thing that, as you were saying about the wedding toast that you usually hear, you don't hear a lot about the irritation. You don't Mm -hmm. hear a lot at the beginning. And maybe you shouldn't. Maybe that's the moment where it should all be Mm -hmm. glorious. But for you yourself, how do you power through those dozens and dozens, sometimes daily irritations that sort of become, can for times become the fabric of a marriage? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it's been humility because for every time that he screws something up, I screw something up. (laughs) And I think not tallying. I think once you start making lists in your head, I think it's pretty dangerous because, I mean, again, like with with the list of vignettes I had in the story... There are in, there are so many reasons to break up at any given moment for anybody. There are so many reasons not to do it that once you start start making columns of good and bad and pro and con, I think you're lost. I want to turn to some of the letters that you got because I thought they were really insightful. And as may my, maybe my favorite letter just kind of quickly says, I've never thought about divorce, murder maybe, but not <laughs> <Okay>. divorce, <laughs> which I think is a great summation of marriage. Another thing that I thought was an interesting point that one of the letters got to was the idea that it's also important to teach that it is possible to have really difficult times in a marriage and still make the decision to keep going. Mm-hmm. This writer named Ted said, my parents did a lot of things wrong, but one thing they did right was teach me that they could have a knockdown, drag out, end it, and go out to dinner as though nothing happened. (laughs) I think that's a very good tactic to be Mm -hmm. in marriage, to be able to do that. And it's not easy at all. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the other themes in emails that I got, and I got so many great emails, just dozens and dozens all weekend, my phone was lighting up and it was really, really nice to read about everybody's marriages and their fights and, you know, in some cases divorces, but, you know, they wanted to talk about what they'd been through and what they thought was valuable in it. And anyway, it was, it was really great to see. And that was one recurring theme, especially in couples that had been married for 40 and 50 years. And I got a lot of emails from those people that they had been through horrible, horrible times and, and things that, you know, they wouldn't have been wrong to leave and they just didn't. But most of them were really happy that they had stayed. You say there's so much beauty in the trying and in the failing and then and in the trying again, which I think sums mm-hmm. that up. What is the beauty for you in the trying? Well, it's just, to me, it's very human to want to 
be a better person and to be a good person to somebody else. And we just screw it up a lot, <laughs> uh, inevitably. And I think what has been liberating for me and the, in the emails that I got, what had seemed to be liberating for other people was that just because you mess up doesn't mean you're not married anymore or that you're less married. And I think looking around at my friends, there are some who seem to have it really together. They communicate really well. They, you know, their kids are impeccably dressed. They just seem on it. And and I, I find comfort in the fact that, you know, my kids' hair is like sticking up and like my husband and I are fighting and we're the same amount married. And it goes in cycles and people who are seem great today won't seem so awesome tomorrow, you know, and I just like that we're all in the same boat. You you just spoke about your son, and I wanted to bring up a, a point that one of the commenters made on the New York Times site, which was that his feeling that what makes marriage difficult isn't being in a long-term relationship with someone so much as being parents. I definitely, you know, the studies show that there's a dip in marital happiness mm-hmm. after you have children. Certainly, anecdotally, in my own life, I think that my friends' marriages have suffered the most in the first years after uh-huh. becoming parents. Do you think that that adds to the column of irritation <laughs> and discomfort and, and rage in a marriage? I mean, I think it's the perfect example of the, of the and yet and the both at once because, uh, you know, having... My son was definitely the best thing that ever happened to me, and it also did put some strain on marital happiness um, because it just gives you a lot more things to fight about. There are more dishes. There's a lot more child care to negotiate, and it can be very stressful. You wrote another Modern Love column a few years ago about marriage that was about infidelity. What made you decide to write about your marriage and the ways in which you and your husband have strayed and what that means to you? Well, one thing that has struck me in the course of being married for just 11 years is how many people that I know have gone through issues of infidelity. And maybe it's little things like you have a crush on somebody at the office or, you know, you kiss somebody at a party or, I don't know, have these feelings like maybe when things things were better when you were single or something like that. And I've seen it so often in other people. And then I went through it in my own marriage. And I was surprised by how little I'd seen out there just about that that inevitable attraction to other people and how couples negotiate it, couples that stay together. I think you hear a lot about, you know, the evil cheater who, you know, home wrecker. The ho- yeah, the home wrecker and the man who has the the double life and, you know, these and there's a lot of shame around it and a lot of condemnation. But what I've seen a lot more often is these much smaller, much quieter things that can be very dangerous, but also sometimes can just be inevitable. And, you know, one more thing that you get through. So you wrote very honestly about your attraction to other people and the way in which you and your husband have navigated that through your marriage. Does that ever get messy? I think it always gets messy. I actually saw a comic 
Um, and it basically was like these two co- this couple being like, you know what, the monogamy is really unrealistic, and uh, you know we really need to figure out a new system. And then there's a line on this graph that says like the second they say that, it's like the drama line just goes <laughs> like through the roof. Um, so I think you know there's a reason for monogamy, and I think a lot of it has to do with keeping things from getting messy. How has it worked in your own marriage? Well, you know, I think we talk a lot, and I think we've gone through periods where we've talked about how do you just, and I think the thing about that that modern love was that it was really a question at a moment of total doubt, because we talked so much, and my husband had basically said, said, maybe, you know, maybe it's okay. Like, maybe it would be, maybe it'd even be hot, you mm-hmm. know, if you make out with this person you want to make out with. I have a very unusual husband in that. I think that's very uncommon. And um, although not so uncommon given all the letters I got, but um, <laughs> but um, there's definitely some out there in America. And so, and I was like, I guess maybe that's a good idea. I don't even know. And then the conclusion that I, I mean, I don't really have a total conclusion in the, the essay, but to the extent there is one, it's that it's not fair to this other person. Did you have, or did you show these essays to your husband before they were published? Yeah, I think this is the funniest thing to me is a lot of people have written to me, especially like younger women, and said, you're so brave. I think it's so wonderful that you don't care what anybody thinks, including your husband. And I think there's been this assumption that he hates it and is like opening his paper in the morning and being like, what? (laughs) (laughs) No, I always show everything to my husband. First of all, he's a really good editor Uh um, and a really good reader and very smart. But also I would, you know, (laughs) I've love him and I want him to be happy. Um, and so, you know, I definitely showed this to him and the last modern, actually the, the last modern love, the, the, the slutty modern love, as we, I refer to it, um, <laughs> that one I showed to everybody in the piece. I, sh- you know, yeah. I think it's important to just make sure everybody's okay with things. And my husband now jokes because this piece got such a big response and that it's like the best mistake he ever made. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's like, yes, total yeah. redemption. Yeah, so I did miss the flight. But look what you got out of it in the end. And I did it on purpose. It's true. And I should also say that, so he missed the flight, and the flight that, that he and my son got on was delayed, and they wound up having a, like a 12-hour travel day oh to come meet me in Minneapolis. And I had to pick him up at the airport and drive him to the club where he was <laughs> going to do a show. And my son was like, so happy like he had had the best day so I just thought like that's a good moment of of the, the misery and the happiness at once like he had managed to entertain my son for 12 hours in a series of I think three airports and aren't you glad you weren't didn't have to do it <laughs> <laughs> I was like uh, I was at my book conference like you know having a drink at the bar yeah. with my friend like having a wonderful time yes exactly <laughs> are there any um are there any letters or c- comments that you want to talk specifically about that I didn't get to that were interesting to you? I think what was what struck me about the letters that I got were there were a lot from people who'd been together 40 and 50 years and just they that they said that it they read it together and then it made them laugh and they thought back over all the times that they maybe almost left or that they had had real crises in their marriage. And I think there's something about that that I find very moving and that I think in at weddings, one thing I love about some of the weddings I've been to is when you see like the old people dancing and the little kids dancing. And I think you see people at all stages of their life. And and I think it's, for me, it's helpful to feel like I'm on a continuum. Um, that it's, I think when you're only around people your own age who are at the exact stage of life you are, things tend to seem very 
myopic. You think, okay, it's all only in this moment of like, our apartment's falling apart. You know, our kid needs a lunch packed and the, you know, guy at the coffee shop is really hot. Like if yeah. those are like our, all like our thoughts for the, that minute, then um, I think it can be, it can be dangerous and it can feel kind of lonely. But when you see all those people in different places in life together, I think you can think, oh, this is, we're all on the same, we're all on the same path. Yeah. I think it's also in those moments too, it's interesting to see the people who have found their person, as you said, in the piece later, or Uh they've found them earlier and it's lasted, or they've Uh found someone for, you know, that might be their second or third marriage, Mm -hmm. who's their person. I'm always amazed at the stories, you know, my mom included, who has such an incredible marriage, but it's her second marriage. Mm -hmm. And it just like came in midlife. And, and that too, I think, is very hopeful. Yes. Yeah. And I've definitely seen that with a lot of friends where, you know, they were very unhappy for a while. And then now they're in this whole new stage and and feel and feel really lucky. I'd like to end with a quote that I think sounds like sums up a lot of the letters you got. This was from a commenter who said, we've loved each other, heard each other, wandered apart and then back closer again. There's something indescribably satisfying having someone continuously in your life for this long, someone you still want to bring chocolates every time you have to be away and who still shares them, cutting each in half carefully so we both enjoy the same flavor of life at the same moment. That's beautiful. Thanks for being here, Ada. Oh, thanks for having me, Laurie. Thank you for joining me today on The Labor of Love. If you have a domestic quandary and would like to be a guest on our show, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please email us at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from Real Simple. And sign up for our Real Simple podcast newsletter, which you can find in the show notes of this episode. You can subscribe to The Labor of Love at iTunes.com slash Panoply or at Panoply.fm. I'm Lori Leibovich, and I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love. Music